Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I'm Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and you're listening to The Emma Gunn Show. Each week, I ask my guests to show me the world through their eyes, learning from their experiences, insights, and expertise. If you'd like to watch and listen to this episode ad-free, simply go to www.patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now. In this episode, I'm joined by beauty and lifestyle expert, producer, brand founder, and host Susan Yara. She is the face of the hugely successful YouTube channel Mixed Makeup and the founder of the skincare brand Naturium. I wanted to be a hard-hitting news reporter. I thought I was going to be working for CNN. At some point, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think for my own mental health, I can't even handle this. I at least need to take a break. So I envisioned starting a media company, a small media company focused on women's lifestyle topics. The skincare reaction video started not because um, I had this great idea suddenly, but because some of the younger girls on my team, their favorite thing to do was to hear me talk about, you know, the mistakes that people made, celebrities specifically, with skincare. You know, what people will say to me, how did you know? And I tell them I just knew. I just knew. It's like you having your new sense. You just know. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode of the podcast because Susan's story of a rise to fame within the beauty industry is a fascinating one. She climbed the ranks of broadcast media, was one of the first people to adopt digital online media, which is now obviously huge, and has constantly reimagined, redefined and reskilled to be one of the most successful women in her industry. As you know, I love seeing the world through the eyes of my guests, and hearing Susan's story is a really inspiring insight into how to achieve incredible success, but also a look at the component parts required to achieve it, and, spoiler alert, it took grunt work, curiosity, graft, failure, mentors, and time. Susan and I spoke during her UK and Ireland tour to launch Naturium into Space NK, and our schedules didn't allow for an in-person conversation. In fact, Susan was in her hotel room, as viewers on Patreon will see, and I was in my office. We relied on hotel Wi-Fi, so you will be able to hear that Susan's audio is a little gritty, but I hope that doesn't affect your appreciation of what she shares with us in this episode. She shares so much during the conversation, in fact, from her early beginning in hard news and covering gang activity in New York boroughs, having her image controlled by the powers that be, making an embarrassing move into this new online journalism space, how she developed her business instinct and how much comes down to gut, how she found her voice, and of course, how she went from reviewing brands to creating her own in Naturium. It is all here. Welcome to the show. Well... A very, very warm welcome to the Emigon Show, Susan Yara. How are you? I am really good. I'm a little bit tired. We've been, you know, eventing all week. We've had lots of fun launch events with Space NK for my brand Naturium. So I'm losing my voice a little bit, but I have been <laughs> holding on to it just for this, uh, just for this uh, recording. And I'm so grateful that you have, because you are, you're over in the UK. We are not actually seeing each other face to face because you are currently in Ireland. You are doing the whirlwind tour. As you said, you've just launched Naturium into Space NK. So there's been, you've been uh, pounding the pavement, traveling around, letting people know that you're here. And so this is where we are today. You've just launched. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. This felt like, actually, this felt like my big celebration, my launch celebration. 
I said this actually at the um, editor dinner um, on Tuesday. I, I said to everybody, you know, we launched the brand in 2020. So I never actually got to celebrate this with anybody because we were all in lockdown. So we sat at home, sent text messages to each other as far as like the team goes. And that was it. I hugged my husband. I, you know, sent a, you know, a message of love to my business partner and we were done. Yeah. So this is kind of the delayed, the delayed whirlwind tour, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are today. And we are going to come back to present day. But I would really love to go back because I was saying to Susan before we started, listeners and viewers, that I um, I really enjoy your genesis story, your origin story, because you are you started out as a journalist. Uh, being the founder of and the creator of a beauty brand, I'm going to guess, was not on the plan or the agenda when you started out your career. Absolutely not. Uh, early in my career, when I was in college, I wanted to be a hard-hitting news reporter. I thought I was going to be working for CNN, reporting on, you know, you know, like the war in, you know, Iraq. Like that was like my, my like, you know, grow, growing up and everything. This is what I thought I was going to be doing. I thought I was going to be sharing stories, you know, from people who needed more help or people who saw lots of injustices and everything. This was what I had in the back of my mind. So I never thought I was going to end up in beauty for sure. Why, what do you think it was that drew you to that kind of journalism? Because it's a very specific style and type. Yeah. Um, I think hard news was my interest from the get-go just because of my upbringing. I'm half Mexican, half Korean, growing up as a mixed ethnicity uh, child in the United States. Um, I think you get a really, a really good perspective on life and everything. I grew up poor. I grew up in the countryside, so very rural. Um, and I, I just, I had a lot of perspective, I guess. And I wanted to be able to share those stories of even just, you know, like personal stories, people I knew who, you know, just experienced so many different injustices and everything. And, and so I, I, it was a very romantic, I think, and, and young, naive feeling that I wanted to go out into the world and help people share their stories. And so you did, you did start a career, you were a journalist. And so, um, <laughs> How did it begin and when did it begin to transition into the space that you're in now? Um, so I actually spent all of college um, working for the news. For every local news station when I was in college, I started when I was 17. Um, I, uh, I did every single job in the newsroom from being the person that fetched the coffee and printed out the scripts for the broadcasters. You know, I did everything. I ran the cameras when they used to be these massive cameras, you know, I've done every single uh, job in the newsroom. And then when I finally graduated from college, I went straight into, uh, I went straight to New York City, actually, to a news station there. Um, but I got sent to, you know, all the places that nobody else wanted to go. So I was in um, some of the harder places in the South Bronx, for instance, in New York City, and parts of Brooklyn and everything, but mostly the South Bronx. And I think that um, you know, after spending so many years working for the news, it started to dawn on me that, you know, you don't, you don't actually, at, not in the United States, you don't report on, you know, the stories that are the needed stories, you report on the salacious stories, right? And we had a term, it's still a term, what, if it bleeds, it leads. And that always was what we focused on. And that was really disheartening to me, especially because I had worked so hard to get to that position so early in my career. I was only like 22 years old when I started on camera. Um, and uh, I was also a one-man band, which was a big trend. It still is. But it was becoming a bigger trend in the United States in the news, uh, in the news industry, where you would be all on your own, right? Where you would instead of, you know, having like a, a camera guy that would come with you, like you see in the movies or on TV and stuff, you actually go out on your own, you go into these neighborhoods where it's already pretty unsafe. People are pretty worked up about a news reporter showing up with a big camera. I had a beta cam because this was, you know, the early two, 2000s, the 200s, <laughs> this was the early 2000s. And um, so I had a huge camera with me. Uh, it was very clear. I was a news person, right? I was a news reporter. Um, nobody wanted you to come into their neighborhood and report on gang activity or on drugs or on shootings or anything like that. They didn't want to talk to you about it. A lot of people didn't speak English in the neighborhoods that I would go to and everything. And it was really eye opening to me about, you know, what, what we have in the United States, you know, like just 
across the river from Manhattan, where there's all this wealth and so much happening, there are these really poor neighborhoods that don't get any of the attention that they deserve. It was really disheartening to me. And so at some point, I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think for my own mental health, I can't even handle this. I at least need to take a break. So I started to apply to some of the magazines in New York City, um, thinking I don't even want to be on camera anymore. <laughs> because also back then in the news, especially, I think it's still probably a thing. They really controlled your image, right? And I was so over the control of my image, right? I was told to cut my hair into a bob, wear navy blue only, pearls. I didn't want to look like somebody that would sleep with someone's wife. This was really told to me by my news director <laughs> because I was so young. They were, he was like, you can't look quote unquote sexy on camera. Like you have to really tone down this image, especially as a young woman. Right. And wow. so I was so sick of this. I was sick of every aspect of it at the time. So I just wanted to be behind the scenes. Nobody could see me and I'm just going to write some articles. Right. Um, so I applied to a few publications and I got a job with Forbes magazine. Mm. And at the time, they were starting something called Forbes.com. So they were going into this digital era. And it was very embarrassing at the time. I know that might sound crazy to people. But it was this whole new thing in the world of magazines, right, where uh, they wanted to start .com. Forbes was one of the first publications that was really going to put a lot of budget into it. Um, and they also wanted to start Forbes video. So this was like 2002, 2003, sometime around then. So That's YouTube wasn't so even owned by Google. Mm -hmm. wow. Very, very early into it. And um, it, it was embarrassing. Honestly, the video network was really embarrassing. It was still kind of reliant on dial-up uh, internet. So it was very slow. The recordings looked really grainy and ugly. It honestly looked like we were doing like a, like a university startup, you know, <laughs> newscast. Yeah. A little um, project. And, <laughs> yeah. So they hired me not because I was a great writer, <laughs> but because I had the broadcast news experience. Mm. Um, and that was really lucky for me at the time. I didn't understand how lucky it was because, again, it was embarrassing to be part of the dot com. Um, but it was really lucky because we were early to, you know, learn all of the things like SEO, search engine optimization, how to make video for the Internet, how to make articles for the Internet. You know, at the time, you know, editors would have this like luxurious, like two, three months to write a feature, you know, <laughs> and, and it'd be like, they'd be spending time on like one or two features, like a month, right? Whereas on the dot-com side, we were writing two to three articles, which is, you know, like crazy now, because I feel like, um, you know, if you still work for a magazine online, you're writing 10 to 15 articles at this point a day. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole new era in media and I was one of the first people doing it. And, uh, and it kind of led to where I am today. Cause I ended up going to other publications to people.com, uh, for like five years. Um, I freelanced for a lot of publications and then I went to, um, you know, media companies that were specific to.com. So totalbeauty.com, um, popsugar.com. I was one of their first producers and, and, uh, on camera hosts in the beauty uh, vertical for them. So this was all really new. And then I went to new beauty magazine and started all of their digital, um, uh, all of just like their website, their inner, their, uh, YouTube channel, their, uh, social media, all of it, which sounds, again, it sounds crazy to people when they hear this because they're like, Oh, you're ancient. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. uh, but it wasn't that long ago, actually, it was just like a decade ago that we were doing all this stuff. So, and just getting it started. So that that's actually what led to me starting my own, you know, my own YouTube channel eventually, because I, I saw the need for it. I had done it for so many other publications. And there, if we're being honest, there weren't a lot of budgets going into it. So if, if we weren't going to have budgets, then I could do it on my own. Yeah. And I think you've touched on something, uh, both when you were talking about setting up the dot coms, but also, and their digital content, but also talking about being on the local news stations is it seems like you're the kind of person who really likes to get to, it's not enough to just stand in front of the camera and go, great, I'm in news. You want to know what kind of camera it is, how it runs, how it transmits. It seems like you really like to get into the nuts and bolts of how things work rather than just letting other people, I don't know, do it for you. seems like you're quite into yeah. getting stuck in. Well, you know, I had, um, you know, there, were, there was a lot of uh, 
proving myself, I guess, early in my career. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's something that we deal with as women. I feel like as a woman of color, I constantly had to prove that I wasn't there just because they were trying to fit, you know, some kind of a, like a, you know, have the token, you know, like Asian or Latino person, you know, and they're in that place. Right. So I was constantly trying to prove myself and I had a mentor really early on in the news who said, learn as much as you can so that you can always know what's happening. Right. Like you're never going to run into an experience then where the videographer says to you, they can't get that shot because guess what? Do you want me to show you how to do it? Because I'll do it then. You know, <laughs> like there has never been a time in my career where, where someone has told me we can't do something because I've told them, Oh, let me show you. Right. <laughs> and so, so I think that's really gotten me far. And, and, and so it's something I've actually told everybody who's ever worked for me, you know, learn as much as you can get into all of it because it's only going to make you bigger. It's only going to make you better. It's only going to make you stronger and wiser in the field that you're in. Well, as soon as you were saying that, I thought, gosh, that would be, that means that I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of someone working with you. It would be almost like high stress because I know that I can't, I can't fluff anything because you'll tell me, but equally, actually, I'm thinking that is the kind of environment you want to be in because that is how you bring your a game and that is like i love the expression you you know you never want to be the smartest person in the room or you always want to be playing tennis with people who are better than you i don't play tennis but we're talking metaphorically here and so it does that for me that attitude breeds an environment where people get better and better and better and excel mm-hmm. and you know what i'll say um i think that a lot of the people who work on my team have worked with me for a very long time Um, And I think that they feel inspired to know that I'm ready to roll up my sleeves with them and get down into the dirt with them if we need to. And I don't feel above it. Right. Mm. And I think that inspires them too to want to learn more, to want to grow more, to keep fighting for it. So, you know, I think you, you can only lead by example. You're also a great example, a little bit um, like me moving from print media to then creating my own channel. That's exactly what you did. You had this vast experience under your belt of lots of different types of broadcasting and journalism. And then you took it to YouTube. And I think probably like me, I'm going to guess here, but as much as you loved working with these big names, there is nothing quite as satisfying as being able to call the shots for your own channel, whatever it might be. So talk to me about the journey from, uh, to, to creating your own, it's basically like your own network in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Um, mixed makeup was, uh, the media company I had started. And I say media company because I never thought of it at the time, especially as becoming my own, you know, like becoming an influencer or becoming, you know, a content creator, I envisioned starting a media company, a small media company focused on women's lifestyle topics, right? Um, When I first started, I actually started to reach out to potential investors, thinking I was really going to start something much bigger. Um, And I was in my early 30s. And the first thing some of the investors told me, men, Uh um, (laughs) was that, uh, you know, I was I was a little bit old to be doing this, right? Uh, To be getting on YouTube, to be starting on social media. Everyone at the time was a teenager, right? Sitting in her bedroom, you know, doing a, a makeup or a fashion haul uh, in front of her computer or something. And uh, and they the thought that I wanted to start talking about beauty as a 30-something, like, I can't believe it, you know? Um, and, you know, create content that was geared more towards women in who were about 25 to 40, 45, 50, right? This is what I kept pitching to them. And I kept saying, well, these are the women that have the the disposable income. These are the women that make the decisions in the house. These are the women who really want something. And I kept saying to them, if you create produced, like beautifully produced, really well thought out content with real experts, then they will come and watch this. If you create it, they'll come, right? Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. So I had to just move forward by myself, right? I had like $10,000 in my savings account. It was all I had. If it didn't work out, I was absolutely going to have to start looking for a job. <laughs> my husband was a little freaked out that I decided to do this. Um, but I, I felt so so sure of this. I, I told them I'd seen the analytics. And yes, you see the trends with, you know, all the data backs up that teenagers are absolutely consuming social media. But there are definitely more mature people in their 30s who are so old, apparently, um, who 
are also watching this content, but their their behaviors are different, right? They're not subscribing to the channel. They're not necessarily, you know, like becoming big fans of, you know, just one person. They're looking for real information. And they don't want to see anything that's fluffy. They don't want to hear some girl talk about, you know, spend 10 minutes, the first 15 minutes talking about what she did all day and what she ate and everything. They just want to get to the information, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I said, I, I know that they are looking for this content. I know that there is a place for this. And so I just decided to move forward with it. And at the time I brought in different, you know, I, again, I took like this producer role. I had my own little show that I had on the channel, but then I also had shows with different people and different experts. We had a show focused on plastic surgery with different plastic surgeons and dermatologists and even um, a couple of uh, cosmetic dentists. Um, we had a show on kind of like interior interior design and DIY because that was really huge at the time too. Um, we just had all these different personalities. We had a wellness show as well, a fitness show. So we did, I, I just kind of brought all of this on and then I um, eventually started to whittle it down to, I just need to focus on my own content because that's the easiest way to do this. And that's the way the trend was moving. Yeah. was to being focused on just one individual. And um, and so that's when I think it really picked up is when I, I focused it. Well, this speaks to two things. New sense, and you must have heard that. I remember the first time an editor said to me when I was coming up the ranks on local newspapers and said, you know what, Ems, you've got really good new sense. And I was like, yes, it's one of the best compliments I've had in the workplace ever. And then, which clearly you have in order to be able to create all of these different, they call them verticals in the States, don't they? Like all of these, yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't call it that here, but I watched the bold type and I was like, I'm going to start using that. I just need to make sure I know what it means. Um, but then also there's this, um, there's a real business sense as well, this entrepreneurship and listeners, viewers, we were talking about this before we came on. And I think it's really appropriate to call you an entrepreneur as well as founder, creator, whatever it might be. So these are two things that, uh, how much of it is gut and how much of it is learned, would you say? Mm. Um, I'd say gut is, uh, is a big part of it, probably the majority of it, because, you know, what people will say to me, how did you know? And I tell them, I just knew, I mm. just knew. It's like you having your new sense, you just know, right? And I don't know if that's your upbringing, if you, you know, like something in me is like scrappy and, I, you know, I don't know what it is, right? But I definitely have always just known, right? Like I, whenever I make these decisions, I'm making a lot of gut decisions. Mm. Um, but there's absolutely the learned part of it too, right? I spent a lot of my 20s making a lot of mistakes, learning a lot from those mistakes, um, hopping around to different jobs, learning from my mentors, learning from bosses, even people I disliked in the newsroom or, you know, who were my colleagues. You learn a lot. And I think that absorbing that information is very important too. Hmm. Now, I was looking at your YouTube channel uh, earlier, actually, and I couldn't believe the, the variety. There is so much on there. And um, from everything from trying fat freezing treatments to reviewing celebrity uh, skincare lines. And you are definitely the constant. And I think uh, finding one's voice is the most important thing. So that every time they go to your channel or they see you, they know exactly how you're going to approach it. And it seems to be, I don't know if you ever wrote down a plan, but it seems to be that it's its very much about integrity and about gathering all of the information and presenting it in a way whereby you can give an opinion, but you're very much allowing your viewer, your reader to um, come to their own conclusions as well. You're not spoon feeding. Was any of this, was all of this something that you had a real plan to have this really strong editorial voice? Um, the editorial voice, I mean, I think that was always the plan, right? Again, I thought I was starting a media company. Mm. Um, and I still would consider this a media company in the way that we run it. Um, but honestly, the content that picked up the most, like the skincare reaction videos, all of that was not planned, right? This was, you know, I, I, I really feel like you have to be bendy, you have to learn to evolve. And, and I think that was a big part of my career, you know, in the beginning, as much as I didn't want to be on the dot com side, I was pushed into it, I had to learn to evolve. When, you know, everybody in my industry and in our industry, you know, when they were fighting the shift to social media and dot com, I was already being pushed into it. And I had to learn to, to, you know, accept it and grow with it and learn it. 
Um, same with, you know, the younger generation, right? And the people that work for me, hearing their perspective, the skincare reaction video started not because um, I had this great idea suddenly, but because some of the younger girls on my team, their favorite thing to do was to hear me talk about, you know, the mistakes that people made, celebrities specifically, with skincare and the false information that they kept talking about and spreading, you know, with these videos that, you know, magazines would just allow them to keep posting, right? And, um, and so one day, one of the girls on my team was like, we should just record this. Let's just do it. Let's just record it. So the most popular show we've ever had was actually by chance. Had no idea. And we just set a quick format to it because we were already in that. I mean, we just know how to create a format right away now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we started to go and it picked up so quickly. And it was the first time I had been talking about cosmetic treatments and skincare for years, but it was the first time that I think it just clicked for the viewer where mm -hmm. they started to suddenly understand how they should do their skincare or how they should, they should at least view skincare and also how they should actually be getting this information, like, like what they should take with a grain of salt when they see their favorite celebrity talk about their favorite skincare products or their routine and what they're doing. It started to really occur to them that there's a little bit more to it and take it with a grain of salt, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when that started to happen, it really helped uh, just everybody cling on to skincare suddenly. Do you know, it's funny. I, uh, I was on magazines. I was a beauty editor on a magazine for 10 years. And during that time, and you'll know this, I had such a great life because I got sent lots of beauty products, which is my dream. I would go and often meet these beauty products with the founder in a five-star hotel. And I would travel around the world doing all of that, meeting spokesmodels and spokespeople and brand founders. Just, it was just a lovely, lovely job. And it's why so many protagonists of 90s rom-coms, I think, work on magazines. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. And when I left magazines, I actually did a stint on QVC as a guest presenter. And I did something there that I had never, and I'm ashamed to say this, but hey, we all make mistakes. You have to talk to the consumer when you're doing a broadcast like QVC. When you're writing for a magazine you are often writing for the advertiser, your editor, and it really kind of down the list of people that that editorial is for comes the end user, which I feel quite guilty about now. And so I'm really uh, rigid now about, I will only talk about something if I think it's amazing and I don't slag products off. I find that I don't necessarily find that great. And I'm guessing you must have had a similar experience in that you get wooed by all of the brands, you get told about a wonder ingredient, but then you don't get the scientific information that really allows you to objectively analyze whether the, what the claim that they're telling you is true is true. So how did you come to a place where you were able to sift through all the nonsense and feel really confident with what you were saying and presenting to your followers and viewers was accurate? You know, I think leaving the the editorial world is very helpful, as you can probably attest to, right? It really does open your eyes to actual consumers and their thoughts on everything, right? And what they're looking for. Um, because I was in the same thing, completely cool. the same thing. We actually shot a video not too long ago where we were laughing because we were talking about some of the, the skincare products that really grew my love for skincare over the past decade. And I was, we were laughing about the, uh, about SK2, the essence that they have, mm. because when I remember I was still a beauty editor, I remember receiving the PR package for it when they the first monks. introduced it. And I opened this up and it's like, there's a screen that plays a video and it was, um, God, what is her name? What's her name? What was her name? Oh, sorry. My, one of my, the girls on my team is sitting right here. Uh, Kate Bosworth was yes. the spokesperson. And the entire time, all she's talking about is the monks, their beautiful hands. All we're seeing is her do this with the essence on her hands, right? And there are no instructions on how to use it. Um, nothing about the face. She never once removes her makeup because just five, six years ago, celebrities were never seen without their makeup on camera. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just such a funny thought that this was the norm, right? And so we actually didn't know how to use this essence. So they launched it. It took two, three years for them to really come into their own because no one knew what to do with this. I tossed that bottle because I thought this is such a worthless product. I don't know what to do with it. They just handed me water, 
right? Like that was my first thought when I first received the SK2 bottle, right? And um, and there were so many instances, sorry, there were so many instances of this where, you know, I look back on products that came out or, you know, ingredients and everything. And and we really didn't understand what it did. We were just, again, wooed by, you know, a Kate Bosworth being the spokesperson and them talking about this, like, you know, ingredient that they saw keep monks and their hands looking beautiful because of the, the, the fermentation or something, right? We didn't really dig deeper. And that's actually something I, I notice now as a trend on TikTok. We see all these trends, right, in the beauty mm-hmm. space, but no one digs deeper. And I always wonder why nobody wants to dig a little bit deeper. I, I think back on why I didn't want to dig a little bit deeper. It's not until you go into your own platform and then you have consumers, viewers, followers who challenge you, yes. right? Who then ask the questions right? Because it's their money. They're really Mm -hmm. spending their money, right? They're the ones that are suddenly, you know, discerning and wanting to know why they should be using this ingredient or this product. And you realize, wow, I've been feeding them a bunch of bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've been fed this bullshit. And so when, when I look back on all of that, I, it started to, it just all started to come together for me. I, I also, you know, in the early stages of starting mixed makeup, you know, sponsorships and all of that, the way it is now, that was not a thing right? Mm-hmm. Like I was not getting these kinds of sponsorships or anything in the early days of mixed makeup. This is like eight, nine years ago, right? Um, and so to make any money, uh, when you're starting off your YouTube channel at that time, anyway, I still had to take on freelance projects. So I was consulting for dermatologists and for plastic surgeons and helping them get their marketing plans in place and starting their social media platforms for them. And I would learn so much because I would have these questions from my viewers, right? And then they wouldn't have the answer to it. And I'd be like, but you're a dermatologist. How do you not know what silicones do for your skin? And it really dawned on me, they are there to diagnose skin disease for the most part. Obviously, this Mm -hmm. is like a generalization. Skin disease, they're there for, um, you know, cosmetic treatments. They're, you know, there are all these things that they're great at and that they obviously should be focused on. But nobody's really taking, you know, no one's picking apart or really learning cosmetic products right? Mm -hmm. If it's not a drug, if it's not a prescription, no one's really talking about it, right? I actually was listening to your uh, uh, interview with uh, Dr. Sam Bunting uh, Mm -hmm. earlier this week. And I actually, I wish I actually knew a little bit more about her. I I didn't know much about her philosophy on skin and everything. And I found it really compelling. I actually was like, oh, she, I like what she did. She kind of took what she was learning as a dermatologist all those years, and then flipped it to skin care, she said, like skin health. Mm-hmm. And the products and everything and, you know, giving her patients this, you know, freedom to, you know, control their own skin health and their skin care. And I thought that was really interesting to hear from a dermatologist because there aren't that many dermatologists that have that same kind of, uh, I guess, perspective on skincare, right? They find it kind of frivolous, actually, right? Mm-hmm. For me, one of the biggest uh, moments in my career um, as a beauty editor that actually like stuck with me and, and actually translates now to Naturium, my skincare brand, is um, when I became a beauty editor, I immediately start to receive PR from some of the most luxurious brands, right? I was getting $500 creams, $800 creams, serums, you know, these beautiful products that I couldn't imagine spending my own money on. But they, they were so beautiful and so expensive. I, they were gifts, right? And so I started taking them home to my mom. I'd be mm-hmm. like, mom, here's this beautiful cream. I want you to use it. You know, you're going to love it. It's gorgeous, right? And then I'd come back three, four months later to my mom's house to visit her. And she would have this cream still sitting on her on her dresser. Yes, my you mom too. My mom too. Yes. And I would say, why didn't you use this moisturizer? I, I got it for free. Don't worry about it. And she'd be like, you told me it's expensive and I don't want to waste it. Mm-hmm. Right? And that is not the way your skincare should be. Consistency is the key for skincare, right? You have to stick with your skincare routine with the same products for months before you really see a change in your skin. Mm -hmm. And if you are spending $500, and I don't care how wealthy you are, right? Like I send my kids to school at a private school. I have met some of the moms that have lots and lots of money, right? Lots of disposable income, and they don't even want to spend a thousand, two thousand dollars a month on their skincare routine, right? So if you have these really expensive products, you're never going to use the right amount. You're never going to be consistent with it, and you're going to treat it like it's precious, right? Mm-hmm. And so this was a big part of Naturium, of the philosophy behind it is, you know, we need to have these 
these ingredients, these products that we know work just from research, they're not necessarily the most innovative even, right? We just need to have these products that people are going to enjoy using, they're going to see a change, and they feel good about being consistent with them. And it's also how to use them, I think, is such a key thing. Because I, I, I mean, I remember giving my mum a big a, a big case of I think it was YSL skincare or Chanel skincare yeah. and like you went back three months later and it was not only here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Unopened, it was in a box next to a radiator for safekeeping. Ooh. <laughs> and I let her know that it had now completely spoiled and it just needed to be binned <laughs> because it had been next to a radiator. Like melted, unstable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um the, the point again there was you can you can present someone with the most beautiful regimen of products in the most incredible packaging. But if they aren't empowered, and that's shame on me, I should have talked my mum through it. But if they aren't empowered to know how to use it how much they need to use, when they need to use it, how you layer things, then again, they are impotent to be able to make the the changes to their skin that they want to make or look after their skin in the way that they want to look after it. Yeah, definitely. And it also, it they feel a little bit embarrassed that they don't know how to use it. They're a little uncomfortable with it. They don't want to ruin their skin. The amount of times I hear from people all week long, I'm, I'm really scared to use retinol, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid what, of what it's going to do to my skin. So, you know, people are really uncomfortable if it's not straightforward for them. I don't know about you. When did you, did, do you remember the first time you ever used a retinol? Yes, I very much remember it. It was only actually five years ago. Okay. Same. Yeah. How, yeah. yeah. What was your experience? I want to hear. I feel like there's a story. Oh, I just was terrified to go to sleep in case I woke up with a bright red face. So I just had the worst night's sleep because I was just there going, what's happening? What's happening? And it was like, it was the poorest choice, 0.1%. So I was at no (laughs) risk at all. But it was, it felt like a really drastic move into a brand new skincare neighborhood. And it was like, this is what the big girls do. And I was really scared about a reaction. Same. Same. You know, I, I think we all think about um, uh, Samantha in Sex in the City yeah. when she goes and gets a chemical peel and then shows up at the event with, you know, a veil over her face because she's, her skin is just a wreck, right, from a chemical peel. I think that kind of an image, whether it was that episode for, you know, people or for, you know, some kind of other TV show or movie where they learn something like this or maybe like a show like Botched or something where yeah. people get so scared of anything that seems a little intense, right? And so retinol has definitely done that to a lot of people. And same thing for me. I wanted the most gentle retinol. I remember the first one I ever purchased was by Verso. I still mm. love it. It was their super facial serum. And it, I, I got it because it was a, like a derivative instead, right? So it was going to be a little bit more, um, it was like a sustained release, a little bit slower and everything. And then I, I used it for a month and I looked so much better. <laughs> And I thought, what have I been doing my whole life? Why didn't I start this earlier? And so that started my love for for retinol. Okay, so we're gonna we're going to find out about how you started Naturium because I'm really keen to know about that. But I also just want to bridge this uh, particular part of your career with the fact that beauty journalism gets a really rough rap. And I was on a radio show last year, and somebody said I shouldn't call myself a journalist because my journalism that I was referring to was beauty. And I take issue with that, Susan. It's it's science, it's um, economics, it's anthropology, it's um, 
global politics. It's there's so much that goes into it. If you because if you are talking about products and you are in any way investigating a supply chain, there's a hell of a lot that you need to know there. So I really did take issue with this idea that I just sat at my desk and put lipstick on all day because that's certainly not what happens. And I referenced science there. And I wonder if that was the pull to you to create your brand, because that to me is one of the the things I never really saw in my early, early beauty journalism career. But it's something I find really fascinating now, the science and the formulation. And that is a whole other massive area to get your head around. Was that the thing that flipped it for you into, oh, I need to create product now? Well, no. Okay. So I, <laughs> I'm one of those people that I always, because I like to dig into every aspect of whatever industry I'm working in, right? Um, I started to realize that there was so much more behind the scenes that people didn't understand, right? I think people think that creating a beauty brand is so easy. I see so many people, I constantly get messages from young influencers who are who are going to be starting their own beauty brand and they'd, li- they'd love advice and they just have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. Everything that you just said, right? There is there are so many different aspects of creating, uh, not just creating the brand, but a successful brand, right? And um, skincare specifically has so much more to it because of the science and because of the people behind it. Um, for me, I, um, you know, I actually didn't intend on starting the skincare brand. I didn't want to because I knew that there was so much. But I, I agree with you on the beauty journalism side of things. There's so much more that people don't understand. When I tell people I'm, I'm. I have the knowledge that people don't get to have in this industry. It is very, very true. You know this. We don't just get to learn about all of these different aspects that you just talked about. We get to talk to the people, the sources, right? We get access to people and you know the behind the scenes that nobody else gets access to. Even brand owners don't get the access that we have because we get to speak to all the different brand owners. We get to talk about we get to talk about the people that are behind all those brand owners, right? Like they're going to actually share the information that they wouldn't publicly share, right? Mm-hmm. We get to go to the raw material suppliers if we want to. We get to go to the chemists if we want to. You know, there are so many people that are involved behind the scenes that the average consumer doesn't think about, right? Having that, you know, even being able to work with dermatologists alongside them and, you know, help them create their marketing messages, right? So they're telling me from their scientific point of view, and I'm trying to now change how they say that. So it's in more of a layman's term, like in layman's terms, and -hmm. trying to turn it into marketing for them, right? Marketing points for them, right? So having to be that middle person who takes all that information and breaks it down for a consumer is a real skill, right? Mm -hmm. And the access that you get and the things that you see and the things that you have to learn, right? I started my, when I started at Forbes.com, the first vertical that they put me into was wellness, right? So I, and mind you, there were, it was mostly men at the time who would read Forbes magazine, right? So I was, you know, having to learn about prostate cancer and (laughs) speaking to doctors about all of these actual uh, diseases and issues that men face with their health that I knew nothing about. And I was 24, 25 years old. I was having to read the journals and try to break those down and interpret them. And these are skills that you don't just get, right? You mm-hmm. have to really learn this, right? I luckily at the time had my editors that would help me with it and really help to mentor me and teach me and guide me. But this is a skill, right? This is not something that is very easy. If you're a good journalist, you are digging deep, you are learning from the best, and you are going straight to the source, right? And not everybody gets to do that. Um, so that you, you've got a lot of perspective as a beauty journalist, for sure. Um, I, I, <laughs> were you going to say something? I know we're on Zoom, so I don't. I, I know we like don't want to interrupt each other. No, I'm just thinking about friend of the show, Claire Coleman, who um, I refer to her as the forensic beauty journalist, because I will say to her, I'll ask her a question about product and there'll be a sort of a, she'll look to the left and then she'll take a deep breath. And I know that what she's going to say isn't, I really like that product because she'll talk about a supply chain thing, or she will talk about a change of formulation and a molecular thing. And I really enjoy listening to her. I don't always understand it and have to get her to repeat herself and explain things. But that to me is what I think is really great about beauty journalism, beauty journalism, which does get misunderstood. 
And I think the other thing is that it's just it's just about the end product. And that really isn't the case. It it's it's not and it's not just about someone's opinion about whether they like something or not. Yeah. So okay. You uh decide that the brand is going to happen. Yeah. Wasn't something um, that you wanted to do necessarily. No, because it's hard. And I can I can tell you right now, three years into it, it's very, very hard to to create a successful brand. But the reason I decided to do it was because I had an aha moment. And it, the aha moment was was not, um, oh, I can create something super innovative. It was, you know what, everyone creating brands right now, for the most part, a generalization for sure. Um, they're not consumers. They're like you and I, when we were beauty journalists, right? Where we're not thinking about the consumer, we're not listening to what they want, we're not listening to the details, right? And I realized we could have a brand where we listen to the details, right? Mm -hmm. Where we, we fixed those little details that people complained about, right? And guess what? It's not that hard to do. You know, it, it's, it's so funny because, so, you know, it's, it's, I always wanted, this is like a dream, actually. Like, I always wanted to, all those people came out with like, like the glue behind post-its. This is like a Romeo and, you know, like <laughs> Yeah, like, like all these, like, these little things that you're like, gosh, I wish I was the person that thought of that little thing that's gone on to help so much, you know, um, it's, I, it's, it was one of those aha moments where it doesn't have to be crazy innovative, you mm -hmm. know, it doesn't have to be something that doesn't exist, it just has to be fixed, it has to be something where you go into it with lots of, um, just very thoughtful, right, where you're really thoughtful about how you're you're putting these products out. Um, I had started actually a whole different brand in 2019. I was working on it. Um, and, uh, and I had this, this, it was very much what Naturium is now. Right. And, um, fast forward to February of 2020 and I get an email from my Korean con contract manufacturer and they say to me, well, we're going to have to pivot with all of our new clients. We're like six months into creating the first products. Right. And uh, they said, we're going to have to pivot because there's this weird virus happening. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard about it in the news, but it's starting to like, you know, turn into a thing. This is, I'm, I'm summarizing this email. And uh, the only thing we can do for new clients right now is start hand sanitizer. If you'd like to start your brand with that. And I'm like, what? I can't, what we, what about this beautiful cleanser we just created? What about this? You know, it's, it's like, I couldn't believe it. One email, shut it down. And, um, and I, my mind was racing. I was like, oh gosh, what do I do? on the operations side of skincare and starting a skincare brand was by far the hardest part for me because it was where I probably had the least amount of knowledge at the time. And, um, and, you know, I, I obviously had marketing down, right. But operations, that was a whole new thing for me. I was learning so much and failing and immediately failing with just one email, right. I didn't even know what to do. Um, so there were two things that came across that came, that went, you know, that came into my mind. One, a zombie apocalypse is happening. <laughs> I turned to my husband immediately. I was like, a zombie apocalypse is happening. It is happening. Walking dead is real. <laughs> this is it. Let's go get all like, let's fill our pantry with food because this is weird. I've never this like, I can't even believe this email I just got. The second thing was, okay, so if it's not a zombie apocalypse and the world isn't ending, what do I do? I don't even know what I do right now. I've spent so much time so much money, so much effort into this last six months of trying to create a brand. And with one email, it just got obliterated, right? It mm -hmm. just completely came to an end. And um, I start to reach out to everybody I knew in this industry. You know, I just, this was like the first time in my life where I felt like I had to pull out all the cards, you know, like everybody I knew, like, I don't know what to do. It took so long to find a contract manufacturer that I liked, that was willing to work with me, that was going to create, you know, the small amounts of orders in the beginning for me. I don't know what to do. And I've spent all this money already. Right. And I, one of the people I reached out to was my now business partner um, and investor, Ben Bennett, who has an incubator called the center. And he had actually just started Naturium and he had, you know, his first intention with Naturium was to maybe create this like uh, behind the scenes brand that was on Amazon that he just gather information with. Right. Mm. And so um, this was the first stages of Naturium and they had started a niacinamide serum. Uh, that was just so much, it was a very beautifully formulated, elegant formula. And it started to pick up. And he knew he was onto something. He was like, I have a brand on my hands, right? So they start to send it out in PR. I knew Ben um, from the past because he had another really great brand called um, another great company called Hatch Beauty. 
that had been behind the scenes for so many different beauty brands, right? And um, so I reached out to him because I was like, I like what you're doing. Naturium is beautiful. I think there's something there too. Let me also tell you about what happened with my brand and what I was thinking with it. And I'd love your help with it on the operation side because I just, I just don't have the ability, right? Mm -hmm. I, I realized very quickly that I was in for a, a lifetime of pain if I tried to learn at this point in, this, in, in it, uh, all, all the operation side, there's so much more to it. And so we started chatting and talking and I started giving my input on Naturium as well because I'm, a, I'm an opinionated woman. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, so I started to share with them. I was like, you know, I really think that you don't need to go down, you know, this like, you know, they, they were making this a clean brand, for instance, right? Because that's a huge industry right now. And um, they were starting to go down that road, right? And I said, I don't think you need to. Mm -hmm. I think this, the products can speak for themselves, right? And uh, we need a water break. No, no, we're good. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm uh, going to cough though. You did spot it. <coughs> Carry on. <laughs> um, I, I know, I get like that too. Um, anyway, so we, we started talking more and more about Naturium. I was really excited about the brand, the price point and the things that they were doing. And um about a month into talking, we, we say that this, we credit the pandemic for this. It's a, one of the silver linings for me. Um, you know, we had this roller, like this, like quick, uh, conversation and like this quick introduction to each other and got to know each other so quickly. It felt like we were like speed dating, right. Um, because we had nothing else to do. We're all sitting at home so we could mm. really focus our attention. Kind of like you were saying to me before we got started recording, um, yeah. how we had all this time suddenly to focus on work. Right. So he and I started to really dig into, you know, like what we wanted with a skincare brand. And he says to me one day, wait, why are we talking about two separate skincare brands? I'm talking about Naturium with you. You're talking about your skincare brand and how you'd like me to be a partner on this. He's like, Naturium's only a few months old. It's a baby. You take it, give it vision, do what you want. You've already helped shape it. Like we've already made so many changes just in this like past couple of months because of the things that you and I have talked to talked about. And he's like, let's work on this together. Give it vision, make it your brand. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this. <laughs> let's do it. Um, and it just all kind of went from there. We spent a couple of months, obviously, getting all the like legal aspects of it together. And, uh, and then probably around, I think it was June of 2020, I went ahead and made my announcement and said that I was one of the founders and owners of Naturium. And it went from there and it has been an explosion. And I think it honestly has done really well because we are, we listen to our consumer, right? Mm -hmm. We've had years and years. And I think every content creator, if they were smart and, you know, every content creator who has an entrepreneurial spirit, a true entrepreneurial spirit would understand that they have analytics. They have so much data that brands only wish they could get their hands on, right? And, um, and so if you really go through everything that you have, all that data, you can really understand what it is that your viewer has been looking for. And I was actually, you know, yesterday we were at an at a editor lunch um, to announce, you know, our Space and K uh, launch here in, in, a, in Ireland. And um, one of the editors said to me, she said, you know what, I think, I, I think what we love about your brand so much is that you're not trying to pull one over with some flashy mm -hmm. marketing copy and stuff you're you're really just telling us like this is what the products do this is why they're good for your skin and uh and you're not trying to pull one over on us you know we it just it's so exhausting to have to you know dig through all this marketing you know talk and and try to figure out why i would want to use this product especially with so many brands out there now and so many products to choose from um and that's really what we do we talk about um you know clinically effective meaning that we when we really um, pinpoint an ingredient on our, our product packaging, um, we are using it at a clinically effective level. So at a level or percentage where, you know, it's been shown to actually have the effect that it's, that we say it's going to have. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we are biocompatible. It's something I talk about a lot too, meaning that your skin recognizes it, your skin absorbs it, it accepts it. It's not going to fight with your skin, right? And for the longest time when, you know, growing up, we, we were taught to fight our skin, right? But we're learning now that that's the worst way to handle your skin. You need to work with your skin, balance it. And once you do that, it's crazy how a lot of your skin care, your skin issues can go away because it turns out we were causing these issues to begin with, right? Not always, obviously, mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of the issues that we see, it's because we've been too harsh on our skin, right? 
Totally. And um, I love the honesty as well, because one of the things that I find big brands do and talking to your point about how you speak to your consumer, it's on a level. You're not talking at them, you're talking with them. And one of my biggest bugbears is implied benefits, which is there's vitamin C in this product. And so because you know vitamin C is brightening or because you know it's an antioxidant, there's an implication that this product will do that. But you then look at the inculus and it's so far down, it's not in an active volume that would have any impact on the skin or it's really just a token to get you to buy the skin. I really, that to me, the misleading element of skincare claims bugs me very, very mm. much indeed, because it's such a horrible thing to to be dishonest about. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true, especially because a consumer is going to take that at face value, right? They're going to they're going to say, well, I trust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that what I'm buying is supposed to do what it says it's going to do, right? Um, and that that's annoying. I think that we also don't give our our, you know, consumer the credit that they deserve, right? They actually do know more if you explain to them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we try to educate as much as we can. And I think that's been one of the biggest benefits of having an online platform is that I really, every time we launch a product, I break it down. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we did with this formula to make it as good as possible, right? And to give you all the benefits and try to, you know, again, to try to give it a standard that we think should be the standard of the industry, right? So that's what, that's really what we focus on. You know, we have a, we have two vitamin C serums, right? But our main vitamin C serum, we decided to make it a little bit different. A lot of people complain to me that they can't use vitamin C because it irritates their skin. I had somebody tell me yesterday, I'm allergic to vitamin C. And I'm like, let's find out if you're really allergic to vitamin C, because I'm going to have you try our vitamin C because we've made it completely different. We made it in a formula that's a pH that's healthy for your skin. It's not going to irritate your skin. And, you know, the typical ascorbic acid serum, right, has to be at a lower pH that does irritate your skin, it can be almost exfoliating, right? Mm -hmm. So for people to see that benefit, it has to be at that pH usually, right? Mm -hmm. But it turns out formulation is key here, right? We have a conjugated ascorbic acid, it sounded like a lot of uh, you know, gimmicks, it was very gimmicky sounding to a lot of people in the beginning, but now so many brands are using the same ingredient. Um, but we use this conjugated vitamin C that has glutathione, it has gold in it that helps you penetrate your skin more. And it lives separately, it's independent of the formula. So now we can have a formula that hydrates your skin that feels nice, that doesn't smell bad. Um, that, uh, you know, that actually feels good on your skin, and it's not going to irritate it, while also actually getting the benefit of ascorbic acid, because it's going to live independently. I kind of say it's like like icebreaker's gum, those little balls of flavor, right? You can't see the little balls of ascorbic acid, but it's in there. And as you apply it to your skin, it's going to help penetrate. It's going to just penetrate your skin mm-hmm. independent of the formula, right? So it's going to work better. And if you're truly allergic to ascorbic acid, then this is going to be the formula that you find that out, right? Okay. Because it doesn't have all that other stuff. So you talked about, um, it's about the details. It's about other brands perhaps don't use that data. They're not really uh, listening to their consumer. So what fundamentally, if I, uh, someone is listening to this podcast, watching this podcast, and then they're like, right, I'm going to go into Space NK. I'm going to go and look at the products. How does how does that particular approach show up as soon as I look at the brand that you've really paid attention to the detail and what the consumer wants? You know, I don't know if that shows up, to be honest, right? Like I think that they see, um, we've tried to be really straightforward. A lot of people will say like we're copying other brands and stuff, but we're, we're just trying to be really straightforward with our names and what the products do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the best way to get someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't know the brand and they're new to it. It's, they just inherently know this is kind of what I'm getting with this just by the name of the product and what it says. Um, but then we also include a lot of education when you open up the package. Mm-hmm. of each of our products, we have lots of fun facts for you, we have usage information, so much information about it, right. And then you can also, obviously, then go to my YouTube channel, you can go to our social media, and we have lots of education that we have there too. Okay, so I'm in say Senkei. And I'm like, right, what's what's a good starter? If I'm like, I'm going to try something, I'm going to dip my toe into the Naturium waters. Is there a product that you're like, that is not necessarily universal, but a lot of people love this and you should definitely try it. Um, let me see. I got I to gotta break it down. I'm always like, <laughs> okay, what product do I really want to recommend? 
I think everything is so personal when it comes to skincare. It's actually mm. the reason why we have so many products within the line and we're going to keep going. Is because How I many want do you have there. at the moment? Oh, we have like 40 products, something like that now. Yeah. Um, some of them are just like variations of, of different products too. Um, but, you know, I, I really feel like if you're interested in a vitamin C and you feel like one hasn't worked for you, but our vitamin C complex serum is really beautiful and it's easy to incorporate into your skincare routine. Um, if you have heard niacinamide, which people in our industry have absolutely heard this at, at this point, <laughs> right? It's all over the place. Um, I constantly have people come in and tell me, you know, even just these, this past week, talking face to face to people, they'll say, oh, I've tried niacinamide. It makes my skin flush. It irritates my skin. I don't like it. I hear a lot of this from people. I always say, well, try our niacinamide serum. We actually even created a mini because I'm so committed <laughs> to people trying this out first um, because we use a high purity niacinamide, meaning that it's not going to, the tendency to make your skin flush is not there, right? Mm -hmm. And we've formulated this to soothe and nourish your skin and be just a beautiful formula. When you feel the products, I'm so happy that there are testers to try. When you feel the products on, on just your hands, you can tell there's a difference. They're not sticky. They're not grainy. They don't feel strange. It's an elegant product, right? Even at the price point, I think a lot of people are expecting something that's going to feel a little like, oh, this is utilitarian. I'm just going to throw it into my skincare routine. It's an experience. We make everything a nice, beautiful experience as well. Um, and so I tell people, try our niacinamide serum if you haven't tried it. It's a jack of all trades, niacinamide specifically. Yes, it's a high percentage of it. But again, we've taken formulation into account. We looked at all the little details and this is going to really change your skin. And the, the funny thing is, is I'll hear people say they use their entire bottle of our niacinamide serum and uh, they didn't see a difference. But when they were done using it and they stopped using it for like a week or two, they started to realize that their skin didn't look as good, right? They didn't feel yeah. like it was as glowy. Their pores seemed to stand out more. They seemed to have more visible redness, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And I, and they realized it was the serum that they had in their skincare routine that seemed like it wasn't doing much. And it's because you're not supposed to see these dramatic changes with your skin, right? You're supposed to see the change over time and just be happy with your skin. It's not about, you know, perfect skin. It's about having skin that you're really happy with, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're, you feel like is healthy, right? Um, so those are probably, I mean, there are best-selling serums by, by far. Um, those are the two products that I tell people if they're very new to this brand, give those a shot. One of, one of, one or the other. It's a really good point, actually. Uh, great skincare um, is, it's not just about that. It's not about that wow moment of like looking in the mirror and going, oh my goodness. It's about the fact that it just, it makes life easier. And you almost don't realize that pro that process happening where you just have to do less to look after it because the products you've chosen are doing their job really, really well. And it's only, as you say, when you stop using it, you realize that you then have to spend a bit more time or think about it a bit more, in which case you're like, hmm, okay, I know which product is right. You mentioned their price point. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the accessibility? Because that's obviously something that's been uh, a key consideration too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so again, that story with my mom, right? I always think about it, that she didn't want to use these products, right? Um, and I really do believe that consistency is key. I don't care what you're spending on your products. You can go and get the cheapest products if that's all that you can afford. It's fine, but you have to be consistent with your skincare routine, right? So if people don't like the way it feels, if people don't like, like for instance, this is a great example. Azelaic acid is one of my all-time favorite skincare ingredients, but a lot of the time, people will tell me I got a prescription. I hated it. It felt like paste on my skin. Right. Mm. So if they can't find a product that they like, even though that ingredient is amazing and will do wonders for your skin, they're not going to continue using it. Right. So the, all of that was taken into account when I, when I talk about details, that's a lot of what we were, we think about, but the price point also is key as well. Right. If you want to be consistent and you want to, to stay with your stick with your skincare routine, every single month, you have to feel okay with what you're spending on your skincare routine, right? So our prices aren't necessarily the cheapest prices. So we call them accessibly priced, right? But they are at a price that I think is fair, right? If you want to get all of these details down, it's going to cost a little bit more, right? But this isn't going to be a, you know, this is not a brand where you're going to spend the most money where it's just incredibly expensive and doesn't make any sense, right? This is a brand where I think these are fair prices, right? And you're going to feel good about it. Okay. I know that we're drawing to the end of our time together. So I think that's a perfect place on which to say, if you haven't already, 
head to your nearest Space NK or wherever you are stocked, because obviously there are people listening to this podcast and watching this podcast all over the world. Go and try those samples. Try that little tester of the uh, niacinamide. I definitely will be thrusting my face into your products enthusiastically after this conversation. Um, I'm just trying to think how we should leave our lovely listeners. Maybe we should let them know that you'll come back soon because I honestly could talk to you for hours and really dig into formulation and about the different strands within the brand. Um, is there anything you would love listeners to know about Naturium? Just like your takeaway, if someone's listening to this, listening to this and they're thinking, that's got my interest, what would you like yeah. to leave them with? Um, there is a product for you. There is absolutely a product that you will love. I remind people all the time, we were talking about this. I don't ever like to say any t anything negative about products that I try because what works for me might not work for you. And, um, and we've, you know, we've really tried to create products where you're going to find your regimen, right? You're mm -hmm. going to find the products that you love, whether you are an indulgent skincare fanatic, right? And love to have a 10-step skincare routine or a person who likes to keep it really simple with just the bare minimum, we have those products for you and we have really thought about those details. So I encourage you to try it. I think you're going to love a lot of the products. Well, there you go with Susan Yara and with Naturium. You are in safe hands. It has been such a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for making the time. I know that you are so busy on this trip. So uh, thank you for giving us um, the time and attention to have this lovely chat and really get uh, to know this you. This is such a pleasure. Honestly, I, everybody that I talked to had so many wonderful things to say about you. So I'm very excited for to be on here and, and you know, grateful that you even thought to have me. Oh, it was a no brainer. And I'm sure next time, hopefully our diaries allow us to actually do this in person because it would be great. Thank yeah, you so much. Sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Why not become a patron of the Emma Gunn show today? For just £3 a month, you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad-free and in video. That's just £3 less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show. Your support means I can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy. To become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now.